0: involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of Liberty and Prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars. for Friday, April 7th, 2023. Also known as Good Friday. So what did I learn today? I learned that opening day at City Field for the Mets was real cold. Jay Allen says to me, hey, you look real cold out there, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, I was. So we were able to score some tickets for opening day for the home opener that's uh, one yay so you're if uh, you could either be a Met fan in my house or you could leave that's pretty much the way it goes me I grew up watching uh, the Yankees and listening to the Yankees I tell you what the what's changed a lot in the, a lot of these Now, everyone that I go to, and, you know, I go to the Rockland Boulders right up the street from me, right, minor, an independent minor league team, they're uh, MLB-affiliated, MLB-affiliated, whatever that means, the Frontier League, largest independent league in North America, but, uh, no, it's like an experience. I I remember going back, and it was a big deal to get a hot dog or maybe a hamburger and fries. Now they have like prime rib, they have uh, sushi, they have all no, they have all different kinds of stuff in there. Forget no, I remember my father getting it it was either a Bud or a Bud Light. Now you got like thirty different beers you can get there, right? Incredible, but the lines are not as long as they usually are. And I tell you what, one of the things that uh, I've never seen—right, uh, my wife was online to get uh, concessions there, right—and during the playing of the national anthem, everything stopped, and there was a woman running through there, you no, know, an employee, screaming, "Everybody stop the sales! The national anthem is on!" So everything stopped. So that was kind of refreshing. I was wondering why. Everything was as, you can hear a pin drop, the proverbial pin drop out there. So what a wonderful experience, a little bit cold, and uh, welcome to baseball in the spring in the Northeast. It's going to be cold. Good Friday today. Now, this is the day that Christians commemorate the death of Christ, And in three days, uh, rising from the dead. So it's uh, meant to be more of a somber day. That's why uh, it was just unusual that we would do anything on this day. Anything having to do with, uh, you know, celebration or anything. We try to play it low-key and everything else. But that did not happen today. Some uh, announcements here uh, right off the bat, right? Uh, so, if you didn't know, our program is Safety Wars. Well, today, StarWars.com announced that Star Wars is heading back to the movies. Lucasfilms said Friday it plans to release three new Star Wars films expanding on the fictional universe created by George Lucas in the 1970s. Lucasfilms president Kathleen Kennedy said at a Star Wars fan event in London Friday, yeah, Big thing on for, big thing going on uh, today in London. I think I saw weekend maybe in London. Uh, their version of Comic Con, I guess. All of the sci-fi people that I know, the a lot now a, a good chunk of them, the stars and everything, are we're headed we're taking pictures over in London of them in London today. So they have this on tap, right? All lined up. And they don't say when they're going to be released. The last one was 2019 with The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, Actress Daisy Ridley, who played Rey in the trilogy, will be returning as a character in one of the new films. That movie will be set 15 years after The Rise of Skywalker. So hopefully we're not going to have to wait like 15 years for those movies to come out. If you're a Star Wars fan. I tell you what, I with Star Wars and Star Trek, how much is too much? A Star Trek fan, a diehard fan, or a Star Wars fan, either either uh, franchise is going to tell you it's never enough because there was a dearth of both series, both shows for many years. So, for example, I, I remember in 1983 was the Return of the Jedi, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. And then in 1996, roughly, give or take, it was the uh, the, net, the uh, Attack of the Clones. And then we had three movies, and there was like a 10-year gap, and then we had more movies. I remember the, uh, no, the 96 movie, what was funny was I had to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. And what I ended up doing was the line was so long, I dropped off my info over there. I went out and saw a, a, Attack of the uh, Clones. I'm sorry, The Phantom Menace. Well, I say Attack of the Clones. The Phantom Menace it was a, a thing. And I went... I dropped off my paperwork at the DMV, and then I went to see the movie. I said, "I'll be back later today." I told the lady. She said, "Well, what are you doing? I'm going to have to the movies. This is going to take forever. I'm not spending all afternoon here." And I went over to see the. I went over to see the uh, movie. Three hours later, you know, I come back. Oh yeah, just got done. Jimmy, here it is. Okay, thanks. So. That's how bad the DMV is here in New Jersey sometimes. But anyway, be interesting to see. I hope we don't have to wait too long. I mean, how much is too much? There's an argument in the Star Trek world that we're getting way saturated. I think TV overall is being way saturated. I, I don't even watch it except for the Star Wars and Star Trek because I don't want to get involved in any new series or anything other than maybe the Cooking Network. I don't even watch the news anymore because it's always the same baloney on the news, and I do prep work here every night for the news. So I don't even watch it anymore. There was a time with during COVID we had done everything on our to-do list, literally. I did everything on the to-do list. I just sat there in front of the uh, TV watching some of this stuff, catching up on some of the series. Uh, No, no, I did not watch the Game of Thrones. And I ended up saying, you know, enough, enough. I wasted enough time. And I just stopped watching, except for what I just said. Well, we're going to go to commercial break, and we'll set up with some news and our usual fanfare here on Safety Wars.
1: In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated-R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant,
0: OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yeah, your daddy is here. That's for sure. My wife just delivered me dinner down here. Anyway. Yes, we did not eat dinner at the uh, ballpark. Who could afford it? You know? Unbelievable. So... A lot of stuff going on in the world today with the uh, war and everything else going on out there. It's uh, uh, tragic here. We have wars and rumors of wars and things going on. It's a very biblical. Very alarming here. So North Korea conduct another test of a nuclear capable underwater attack drone. State media said on Saturday. The latest is an in a show force against the U.S. and South Korea. The country tested another kind of nuclear-capable unmanned underwater attack weapon called a HAL-2 over a week after it disclosed a new underwater drone dubbed the HAL-1, which translates to tsunami in Korea, designated to make sneak attacks in enemy waters. According to my sources, we had this technology about 25 years ago, and we're deployed in about 20 years ago at the beginning of the war on terror. Which, by the way, uh, they declared an end to it. How is that? Analysts say North Korea is displaying its diverse nuclear delivery capabilities against Washington and Seoul. They are, although they are skeptical whether the underwater vehicle is ready for deployment. The underwater strategic weapon system test from April 4th to April 7th, state media KCNA said that the drone cruised 1,000 kilometers underwater for a distance of 71 hours and 6 minutes and successfully hit a simulated target. Well, one more thing to worry about. Armed and ready. Southeast Asia plays catch- up with China's military might. Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. gave a thumbs up for the cameras from the back seat of an, for the cameras from the vaccine of an FA-50 fighter just, set, uh, just jet just before it took off from Clark Air Force Base in Pampanga south of the capital, Manila on March 7th. The aircraft carrier, this is from the Straits Times, by the way. The aircraft carrying the commander-in-chief flew over a military training area in Sambalas, a coastal province facing the South China Sea. Mr. Marcos would return to the base minutes later, impressed by the pilot's skills and even more convinced that modernizing the military is key to countering Beijing's rising threat. So... Basically, uh, from what I've read, uh, China has a 600-ship Navy. The United States is a little bit under 300 ships. At the end of the Cold War, uh, we had uh, 600 ships in the United States, so we're a half that. Uh, there's a lot of criticism out there of uh, the military, uh, of our military ra- readiness, when, whether or not we could have a sustained conflict or anything else. Uh, this issue came up also this week in London where they're saying that they don't have the ammunition left uh, to fight a war and a lot of the other military gear because it all went over to Ukraine. Here's something I hope you're not eating right now. Singapore is approving 16 species of insects like crickets and grasshoppers to be sold as food. Foodies here, and this is from uh, Cheryl Tan from the new, from the Straits Times. Foodies here may soon get to chomp on insects in eateries or as fried snacks and protein bar, and protein bars. Also on the menu, silkworm cocoons. Yum, yum. Sixteen species of insects, such as crickets, silkworms, and grasshoppers, will receive the green light from the safety agency for human consumption uh, later this year. I, 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 I. Well, I guess they have a protein issue over there. Kiev. Russia on Thursday charged an American correspondent for the Wall Street Journal was spying in a case certain towards Moscow's diplomatic feud with Washington over the war in Ukraine, likely to further isolate Russia. The newspaper denied the allegations and demanded the immediate immediate release of trusted and dedicated reporter Ivan Gershkovich. The White House said the State Department was in direct contact with the Russian government over his detention and urged U.S. citizens living or traveling in Russia to depart immediately. I wonder if Steven Seagal got that, uh, got that memo. Let's talk about financial stuff today. We're going to run down the markets. Dow Jones Industrial finished down slightly at s and S&P 500 4105 up slightly, Nasdaq 1208 uh 12087 up slightly. Russell 2000 holding steady, 1754 US 10-year Treasury note is holding steady at 3.4%. Bitcoin is almost hitting oh almost at 28,000. Crude oil is trading at $80.46. Oh, I forgot my I uh, gold right now and this is live time. This is Friday night 8:16 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Gold at 2023 All right down slightly. I know this is all being traded right now. Silver jumped up a lot in the last couple since I we talked about it last. It's at 2532. So on April 4th, when was April 4th? When seven, six, so Tuesday. Made a big move. Uh on April fourth was Yeah, April 4th. Tuesday. Uh just straight up. It went from twenty four thirty five. 25, twenty five, twenty, and like one shot on Tuesday. It seems to be holding steady above twenty five. Platinum is at ten twenty seven, one thousand twenty seven ninety. And on Tuesday too, that went up. Russian metals went up a lot on Tuesday. Palladium at fifteen oh five. That's up. Uh, that's all over the place, right? Palladium. But anyway, that's what's going on. Again, we're not out. Alf- now we go through all this stuff because some of our listeners want to hear this. So, uh let's go and do another commercial here.
1: You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. in the professional safety community communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success the question many practitioners have is where do i start dr jay allen the creator of the safety fm platform and host of the rated r safety show has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozel with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Safety Wars is streaming now. Safety FM.
0: So, yeah, we had an interesting experience today at the house. Actually, it started yesterday. My uh, kids and wife found an abandoned rabbit hole out front. It's not important how they found it or anything. And uh, five baby rabbits. Apparently, the mother... Abandon them. Uh, we believe uh, we're not taking chances here. We believe that uh, the nest is spoiled. Uh, no, uh, this is the thing with the rabbits. My experience with them: if the babies uh, and uh, no children often do this. I don't. My children didn't do this, though. We know that they didn't do this. Uh, the uh, if the nest gets spoiled, another animal. Or another uh, human, or whatever, inadvertently goes near the nest, and the odors around that, the mother will often reject the litter, and we believe that's what happened here, uh, inadvertently or whatever. Nothing, uh, no intentional, of course, and so well, we're going to let the uh, things stay there and let no, the mother will come back, what have you. And mother never came back. So we ended up, uh, what do you do? I, this should have been, I should have known this, but I've never really had to deal with this problem, is that there are wildlife rehabilitation people out there, uh, volunteers, and there's a website for them. And I'm not going to give out the website because it's, uh, you can look it up if you're out there. No, because I don't want no, a million people calling up people, you know, on that. Uh, and what we ended up doing was calling up a wildlife rehabilitation person who came over and took the uh, rabbits and is going to uh, raise them, and I don't know where they're going to go. Either they're going to be uh, released into the wild or they're going to be adopted, uh, five of them. Uh, one of them was probably near death, freezing to death with the weather up here uh, today. Yesterday it was 75. Today it was 51. So uh, welcome to New York in the spring. And so you know, with one of them, I actually put him uh, on my chest and covered him up with a winter hat I had been wearing uh, to try to get him back to moving around and everything. And then the other ones uh, you know, were all piled up. They were, they were fine. They were warm. This one was not warm at all. And the wildlife rehabilitation person, to her credit, her name's Ginger, uh, she came over in about five minutes, ten minutes, picked everything up. So anyway, so when my wife said, well, what's for dinner, Jimmy? It ain't going to be fefferness tonight. That's for damn sure. Uh, EPA, and Indian, uh, and here's some EPA press releases here. EPA and Indonesian Ministry of Environment and Forestry signed a Memorandum of Understanding to enhance environmental cooperation. This is from the EPA Press Office. This week, the U.S. EPA and the Indonesian Ministry of Environment and Forestry both signed a Memorandum of Understanding to. Strengthen bilateral communicate uh, cooperation in environmental protection and climate action. Of course, climate action on everything, right? The Mo Memorandum of Understanding establishes a framework for collaboration on a range of environmental issues such as climate change, air quality management, water quality management, waste management, environmental education, and environmental law enforcement. The MOU also aims to promote technological Technical exchanges and information sharing between two counties. EPA Region 4 announces the 2023 Pollution Prevention Recognition Awards Program. This is from today. The U.S. EPA Region 4 announces the 2023 Pollution Prevention Recognitions Awards Program. The EPA Region 4 will recognize organizations and Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and tribal lands within the boundaries of Region 4 for demonstrating leadership and innovative P- uh, P2 practices, pollution prevention, P2. Acronyms are tough enough, but to now throw a number in them? <laughs> Sit back and wait for the fun, folks. And, uh, da, da, da. okay, EPA and Department of Energy honor 2023 Energy Star Partners of the Year Award winners in Pennsylvania. So we have a whole list of companies in Pennsylvania, right, uh, that won awards here. The U.S. and EPA, Mid-Atlantic Regions, and the U.S. Department of Energy are, are honoring seven Energy Star Partners in Pennsylvania for their outstanding leadership. In promoting energy efficiency and tackling, of course, climate change. As we accelerate historic efforts to address climate change, public-private partnerships will be essential to realizing the scale of our ambition. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what the scale of the ambition is here. Right, Set, uh, if you've been listening for the last three weeks, you know what the scale of the ambition is. I applaud I applaud the series Energy Star Award winners for working with the EPA to deliver a clean energy future that saves Americans and consumers, uh, Amer- saves Americans consumers and businesses money and creates jobs. The EPA and Seal Shield LLC reached ag- settlement for alleged vi- alleged violations of the FIFRA. Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, or Rodenticide Act. Wow, this is from yesterday. U.S. EPA announced the settlement with the company headquartered in the state of Florida for alleged violations of the FIFRA. Right, uh, You don't hear too much about FIFRA. As part of the settlement, Seal Shield will pay $321,000 in civil penalties. Uh, what do they allegedly do? The sale and distribution of unregistered pesticides and misbranded pesticide devices is unlawful. Presents a risk of harm to people and the environment. Users can accurately users rely on accurate, up-to-date information about ingredients, directions for use, as well as hazards and safety precautions. This element sends a strong message to regulated. Uh, companies who sell and distribute pesticides and devices to maintain compliance from FIFRA, according to Region 4 Administrator Daniel Blackman. All right, so anything, uh, any products that claim to kill or repel a bacteria or viruses on surfaces are considered pesticides must be registered by the EPA prior to distribution. We're looking here uh now EPA is going to be hosting. Uh, this is Region Seven. I'm not familiar where Region Seven is, offhand. But uh, EPA hosts a virtual award ceremony, ceremony. opens application period for 2023 Pollution Prevention Awards. I've seen a lot of triangles out there. Meaning the safety field. You have Heinrich Triangle. You have, uh, no, uh, Birds Triangle. Well. You had the hierarchy of controls, which is often uh, displayed as a triangle. Well, we have here the Environmental Protection Hierarchy triangle. So, uh, in this article, I've never, I've never seen it. I'll be honest with you; I might might be a little bit behind the times on some things. But what is the environmental? Uh, protection hierarchy. Pollution prevention, right, which is, right, the source reduction, reuse, recycling, treatment, and disposal. The most preferential on the bottom of this triangle or the top of the triangle, if it's upside down, is pollution prevention. So, I think I'm going to bookmark this and use it in training here for our environmental uh, classes. Grandview cabinetry in Parsons, Kansas, has been selected to receive an EPA Region 7 2022 Pollution Prevention Award. Cabinet manufacturer Grandview cabinetry is being recognized for their solvent and water conservation practices. Okay, the company implemented a solvent recovery system that repurposes the solvent used while finishing cabinets to clean factory equipment. The system is estimated to save 1,000 gallons of solvent, 1,400 gallons of water, and 3.3 tons of volatile organic compounds and over $15,000 per year. Okay. Good for them. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Study shows striking number who believe news misinforms. What's one of our lines here? Don't be manipulated, be informed. Anything I discuss here on this show, go and check out somewhere else. That's all I have to say. I'm not the end-all and the be-all. What I think happens is a lot of people out there uh, think that uh, no, when they present the news, they take it as gospel. This is how... People get misinformed or misled. They don't learn the other side of the story, which is what we try to do here always. Learn the other side of the story. Uh, trying to seek understanding, enlightenment, anything else. Half of Americans, and this is uh, from uh, a couple months back from the AP, a story by David Bowder. Half of Americans in a recent survey indicate they believe national news organizations intend to mislead, misinform, or persuade the public to adopt a particular point of view through their reporting. My experience, it's an omission, right? You get lied to by omission. They don't tell you everything. The survey released Wednesday by Gallup and the Knight Foundation goes beyond others that have shown a low level of trust in the media to the startling point where many believe there is an intent to deceive. I can tell you from dealing with the media that there is often an intent to deceive. Maybe I'm one of these people, you're right. Asked whether they agreed with the statement that national news organizations do not intend to mislead. 50% said they disagreed, only 25% agreed. So the statement agree or disagree was, the national news organizations do not intend to mislead. So, 50% said that they do not intend that they intend to uh, uh, mislead. 25% said that they you no know, are truthful. Similarly, 52% disagreed with the statement that disseminators of national news care about the best interests of the readers viewers and listeners. This study found and said that 23% of respondents believe that journalists were acting in the public's best interest. That was pretty striking for us, said Sarah Fioroni, a consultant for Gallup, the findings show the depth of distrust and bad feeling that go well go beyond the foundations and processes of journalism. Well, I tell you what, uh, they think that some of this is from uh, fallout from the COVID-19 coverage, a lot of the st- ways that that stuff was handled. I'm going to tell you this has been going on for an awful long time. Uh, I did a lot of graduate school work on, uh, on this stuff, specifically the uh, environmental reporting in the news and whether it's accurate or not. Can we develop an accuracy level? And what I found out was that often the answer is that the information is not accurate according to, uh, you know, uh, at that time it was the global climate change where they were reporting on reports 2001 up to September 11th. Uh, there were a lot of reports that came out with, on global warming in the news and I showed with the print media that they weren't always very accurate in reporting what those things were. Uh, just not there. Uh, and I was able to uh, show that. Now, wh- why is that? A lot of stuff goes on, right? Uh, the more I get involved in the news and even with this program, you could see where uh, people... You could see where things could go awry. You get excited. You're gonna go to the same news sources all the time. You're gonna maybe look at the same documents all the time, same type of documents, things of that nature. And what happens? It uh, you could see where things could biases could get in there. If you, they're not dangerous if you acknowledge a bias. Yeah, I, I acknowledge I'm biased on a lot of stuff. A lot. A lot of stuff I'm not biased on. And it comes right oh, down to uh, what drives the news. We have what is out there called the issue attention cycle. The article I'll reference is from the Wayback Machine, 1972, and there's been a lot of stuff with uh since then, obviously, right? On this was an article up and down with ecology the issue attention cycle, and this is what it comes down to. There are five types of stages, and it's what the media what, what's the job of the media? Job of the media is to sell ad time. I'm sorry, that's what it is, why we have commercials. sell ad time, sell a product. The product that they are selling is who is paying the bills, whether it's a commercial, but it's also with the news itself becomes a product. It becomes a uh, resource. It becomes a commodity, whatever you want to call it. So you have to keep it interesting. And... No, it's a cycle that it goes through, and it's circular. There are five stages, right? Are there five? Uh, Yeah, four or five. And this is what drives it. So it's a pre-problem stage. That's when, and I'm going to quote from the article, when some highly undesirable social condition exists but has not yet captured much public attention, even though some experts or interest groups may already be alarmed by it. Usually, objective conditions regarding the problem are far worse during the pre-problem stage than they are by the time the public becomes interested in it. So, let me repeat that. Objective conditions, no objectivity is, regarding the problem are far worse during the pre-problem stage than they are by the time the public becomes interested in it. For example, this was true of racism. Remember, this is from 1972. Racism, poverty, and malnutrition in the United States. Second stage here, second part of the cycle. Alarm, discovery, and euphoric enthusiasm. As a a result of some dramatic series of events or for other reasons, the public suddenly becomes both aware of and alarmed about the evils of a particular problem. This alarmed discovery is invariably accompanied by euphoric enthusiasm about the society's ability to solve the problem or do something effective within a relatively short time. Number three. All right. Realizing the cost of significant progress, the third stage consists of a gradually spreading realization that the cost of solving the problem is very high indeed. Really doing so would not only take a great deal of money, but would also require major sacrifices by large groups of the population. The public then begins to realize that part of the problem results from arrangements that are providing significant benefits to someone, often to the millions. Goes on and on, so someone's benefiting from this. From a what define the problem doesn't matter. It could be financial, it could be uh, status, what have you. Now, number four, the gradual decline of intense public interest. So, the previous stage becomes almost imperceptibly transformed into the fourth stage, a gradual decline in the intensity of public interest in the problems. As more and more people realize how difficult and how costly to themselves the solution to the problem would be, three reactions set in. People get discouraged, right? Some people get discouraged. Other feels positively threatened by thinking about the problem, so they suppress such thoughts. Hey, I don't want to think about it, right? Then other people become bored by the issue. Most people experience some combination of these feelings. Then it's the five the post problem stage In the final stage, an issue that has been replaced at the center of public concern moves into a prolonged limbo, a twilight realm of lesser attention and spasmodic reoccurrences of interest. So those, now let's talk about this. And this guy downs was actually pretty, pretty smart when he, uh, Said with the ecology, what they called back in the 1970s, the environmental movement often was called the ecological movement, the ecology movement. And what he predicted was that there might be, uh, there might be a environment. Uh, no, you've heard of military-industrial complex from President Eisenhower in his uh, closing address to the nation. That there might be an environmental industrial complex going on out there. Or the, an environmental movement keeps on jamming through the same things over and over again, and I, uh, uh, right, and never actually solving a problem, is uh, was the point here. So let's apply this to a recent uh, thing. We had beginning of February, East Palestine, Ohio, a. A uh, train wreck, right? At the beginning of the thing, not too much happened. Then what happened was, not, not much in the news, then all of a sudden everything went through this cycle. Then, hey, everybody went, uh, that was sort of freaking out, right? Alarm discovery. Then, hey, realize cost of a significant progress. I mean, you my, and I'll still stand by my statement. They're probably going to have to buy the whole town on an eminent domain, can, right, and deal with it at, at that point. This is not going to be uh, right with the courts, I mean, you know you can look back on those programs, go back to uh, Coast to Coast AM when I was on there on February seventeenth, and then uh, middle of March, and then a gradual decline of intense public interest. That's where we are right now. Number four. And then it's going to be number five, the post-problem stage very soon. And this is, you're never going to hear about it again. It's going to be, well, what the hell ever happened out there? And if you notice, for the longer-term environmental issues that are identified out there, whether it's global warming, uh, all different types of pollution, they have to find, they have to reignite it over and over and over again. And we're getting fatigue. Some have stated that the uh, people are no, people are getting constantly fatigued, information overload. We've heard of it called that, and that's uh, and that's basically it with this. And now people are in a constant state of anxiety. You put enough people in a constant state of anxiety, you're going to have social unrest. People are going to be easily manipulated with that. Saul Allen sees Rules for Radicals. We talked about it on this program. So here's some updates in the news about East Palestine, Ohio. According to an update Wednesday from the EPA, the cleanup of the waterways contaminated by the train derailment is nearly complete. Surface water continues to improve as workers are forcing air into the water. At Sulphur and Leslie Runs, to help break down the chemicals. That is called air sparging, by the way. They, if you want to look that up, air sparging. So often when you're doing environmental sampling and you're dealing with water with volatile organic compounds, they're normally uh, they're in, they're collected in 30 milliliter amber uh, tubes, and what ha- and they're narrow enough that you get what is called a meniscus on top of that, and the meniscus is a small uh is a small uh like oval, like a lens on top, right? It's called a meniscus. Right, similar to your knee, right? And the meniscus. And what happens is you have to pour, when you're collecting the water sample, you have to collect it in such a way, whether it's from a baler a device called a baler, or a, which is a long tube with a bottom valve and you collect the water sample in there or if you're going to do it any other way you have to do it not to agitate the water and you when you put it the uh contain the uh, uh fill up the jars you have to make sure that there's not a bubble in them and why is that because you may quote unquote smarge the sample, or you may agitate the sample, thus breaking down the chemicals in the water and not being able to uh, get an accurate reading. I've read some articles, and this is usually not where I my uh, area that I go into with this, but I've read some articles back in the day, you could lose 20, 30, 40% of a sample uh, by doing that just with agitating it. So here they're blowing water. They have video on it on the EPA website blowing water into these creeks or cricks, if you're from out there, and evaporating all of the chemicals on there. So uh, uh, so and air mounting, uh, uh, So here's the update from Wednesday. Uh, according to an update on Wednesday, the cleanup, they're starting, they're sparging the water, the water, the, the water. Uh, the Ohio EPA's uh, website has an interactive uh, map with sampling results that shows the effectiveness of the work. The air monitoring bus continues to check the air quality near the derailment site and surrounding community. Response by the numbers More than 14,000 tons of contaminated soil has been shipped. Over 10 million estimated gallons of wh- liquid wastewater has been shipped out. 627 indoor air quality screenings. And uh, why do they always mention this? The Welcome Center has received 448 visitors. That might be like a road trip this summer, right? Hey, let's go to the Welcome Center for Palestine, Ohio. Be a pretty funny thing to do. Uh, CDC investigators are sick after studying in the East Palestine uh, derailment. Now, I spoke to uh, way back in the day, if you're from. New Jersey. You're getting a lot of historical information here. You go on YouTube and you search for Kinbuck Landfill. K-I-N-B-U-C Landfill in Edison, New Jersey. And you're going to find uh, the original videos. of uh, It was one of the worst... Uh, sites on the NPL list in the country for many years. I don't know where it is right now. And that's where they were dumping uh, liquid waste. They were dumping everything there. It's along the Raritan River on Meadow Road in Edison, New Jersey. Yes, I worked there. And I was talking to one of my professors in college, William Labrizzi, who was the assist, former assistant uh Administrator for Region 2, EPA. He was also, I believe, the head of the uh, uh, New Jersey DEP uh, back in the uh, uh, 90s, early 90s, late 80s, something like that. He was one of the responders for a Kinbuck Landfill where they had a fire, you, and it was a massive fire out there. And they have pictures, and they have videos, and have everything. And he had set over 30 DP when they initially responded to that emergency after the fire there, that 30 people from the DP ended up in the hospital the next day or a couple of days later with all different types of dermatitis and respiratory issues and everything else. So apparently the same thing happened over with the CDC uh, with when they went to investigate this. So, this is from S- Scripps News, an article by Justin Boggs. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed that seven members of a 15-person team became sick after assessing the potential health impacts of February's trained derailment in the East Palestine, Ohio. The news was originally, originally reported by CNN. The CDC said that members of the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry started being. Became ill on March 6th with symptoms including a sore throat, headache, coughing, and nausea. CDC spokesman said staff members' symptoms resolved by the afternoon and they were able to return to work the next day. That is what we would call likely an OSHA recordable on that. I would have to double check that. Uh, Impacted team members have not reported ongoing health effects. So, as we had discussed, And on coast to coast AM, if you caught that show in lieu of a permissible exposure limit, what, what do you use a lot or any other exposure limit? You use warning properties. So I'm going to bet money that uh, a lot of these uh, chemicals that are in the houses and they're not, they're not uh, releasing the lists of what these are because they're homes and they're trying to hold some privacy uh, that they're probably trace chemicals in there. And when you consider toxicologically, what what's in there, you're going to use either uh, probably the additive formula that we're all familiar with from the standardized tests out there. And, and, You're going to come up with, uh, you know, they're the same, uh, the chemicals, uh, groups of chemicals have the same target organ, this case, right? The eyes, irritated eyes, nose, mouth, throat, and everything else all being uh, filtered through either the liver and then kidneys, what have you that all of those chemicals, the exposure limits are very low when you consider the totality of them, all of them. So along with that, plus not having exposure limits for a lot of those chemicals, now you have to go by the warning problem part, properties and these people have all been exposed to something, whatever it is. Uh, and to minimize it, saying, well, they felt better in the afternoon, they went back to work, well, I know I would not be the one uh, I would not be the one uh, saying well that's okay. I would want to go with my four questions right What's the, now is it safe? What can, what are you basing that on? What chemicals are there and did you actually sample for them? This is uh, from Reuters uh, yesterday. A coalition of national law firms has been chosen to lead more than 30 lawsuits against railway company Norfolk Southern over the February derailment of one of its free freight lines in East Palace in Ohio that caused hazardous chemicals to spill and catch fire. U.S. District Judge Benita Yolanda Pearson in Youngstown, Ohio, who is, I've been in Youngstown, nice little town, who is overseeing the litigation on Wednesday, chose the New York-based Jane Conroy of Simmons Hanley Conroy, Colorado-based Seth Katz of Berg, and going on and on and on, I'm not going to read that, uh, to handle all this stuff. So, uh, well, I mean, there's, this is going to be for years, right? This is going to be for years, this whole thing. All right, we're going to go to commercial break again, and then we'll come back. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackney? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywords.com or call Jim Polzel at 845 845- 2695772 remember if you're receiving this message you are the solution to unsafe workplaces
1: Safety wars is streaming now safetyfM.com.
0: Okay, we're back. I had a, I had a, uh, I'm having a cold, and I had to take airplanes here about well, everything that goes along in cold. So here we have some more OSHA ocean, ocean in the news here. Some interesting stories here. Union Leads Walkout accuses South Carolina OSHA of failing to protect black workers. South Carolina fails to adequately inspect workplaces that are most dangerous for employees that employ the largest number of African Americans, according to a complaint filed Tuesday by a union leading a strike in Columbia. South Carolina. An estimated 416,000 South Carolinians are employed in the state's food and beverage and general merchandise, food service, and warehouse industries. And a disproportionate number of them are black, according to the complaint. Between 2018 and 2022, the agency responsible for those workers safe conducted only two scheduled inspections of the facilities of those industries combined. Wow. All right, so this is what we have here. Is the agency really responsible for the workers' safety, or is that their employers and the workers? Again, right? Uh, no, it's the same story. Who, no, I'm not shaming or blaming the workers here, but I am the companies. Was that and the? Workers have to have some type of training and everything else that goes along with it. And they can get it if they call 845-269-5772. All right? Give us a call, include us on that. In contrast, during the same period, 2018 to 2022. The South Carolina Occupational Safety and Health Administration conducted four hundred and ninety-nine planned inspections of construction and specialty trade contracting industry where black South Carolinians are underrepresented, the union said. And may this I don't know, I would have to check the accident rates here. A lot goes into this with the compliance officer. What are their expertise and everything else that goes into this? And no, that's a question. This, uh, comes from Myrtle beach. I should have, ah, I know one of the, uh, someone on the, uh, police, uh, not, not police fire department in Myrtle beach. An investigation into the high-reach excavator that crashed into an Ocean Boulevard condo building just over a week ago is underway. Oh, here it is. South Carolina OSHA is investigating after the machine overturned, crashing into the resort while working on a construction site. Investigations generally take at least eight weeks. Uh, South Carolina OSHA looks for any violations that may have in any way contributed to the incident. Myrtle Beach Fire Department said no one was injured, but there is damage to the building. Yeah. That usually is what happens when you crash things into it. So have a happy Easter, everybody. And I look forward to seeing you uh, later on. I know next week we plan on going on Twitch.